Hey, we are in this study of the book of Romans, and for the last 16 weeks, we've been working our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through this amazing book, this letter from Paul to the church at Rome. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in Romans 15, starting at verse 14. So if you brought your Bibles, or if you have your Bibles in your phone or your uh, tablet or something, and you want to follow along, I'd highly encourage that you do that. Uh, Again, Romans 15, starting at verse 14, the second half of this chapter 15 we're going to be looking at together. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to actually just take the verses that we're going to be looking at and read them for you uh, as we get started. So I'm going to read these verses for you, either follow along or just sit back and listen. I'm using the New Century version uh, of the Bible uh, for what I'm going to read to you today, just so you know that. So listen to these words. Paul writes this. He says, my brothers and sisters, I am sure that you are full of goodness I know that you have all knowledge you need and that you're able to teach each other. But I've written to you very openly about some things I wanted you to remember. I did this because God gave me this special gift to be a minister of Christ Jesus to those who are not Jews. I served God by teaching his good news so that the non-Jewish people could be an offering that God would accept, an offering made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I'm proud of what I have done for God in Christ Jesus. I will not talk about anything except what Christ has done through me in leading those who are not Jews to obey God. They have obeyed God because of what I said and what I've done, because of the power of miracles and the great things they saw, and because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I preached the good news from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, and so I have finished that part of my work. I always want to preach the good news in places where people have never heard of Christ because I do not want to build on work someone else has already started. But it is written in the scriptures, those who have not heard about him will see and those who have not heard about him will understand. This is the reason I was stopped many times from coming to you. Now I've finished my work here. Since for many years I have wanted to come to you, I hope to visit you on my way to Spain. After I enjoy being with you for a while, I hope you could help me on my trip. Now I'm going to Jerusalem to help God's people. The believers in Macedonia and southern Greece were happy to give their money to help the poor among God's people in Jerusalem. They were happy to do this, and really they owe it to them. Those who are not Jews have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, so they should use their material possessions to help the Jews. And after, I am sure, the poor in Jerusalem have got the money that has been given for them. I will leave for Spain and stop and visit you. I know that when I come to you, I will bring Christ's full blessing. Brothers and sisters, I beg you to help me in my work by praying to God for me. Do this because of our Lord Jesus and the love that the Holy Spirit gives us. Pray that I will be saved from the non-believers in Judea and that this help I bring to Jerusalem will please God's people there. Then if God wants me to, I will come to you with joy and together you and I will have a time of rest the God who gives peace be with you all. Amen. So before we dive into those words, though, I want to ask you a question. When you think about the word ambition, is that a positive thing to be ambitious or not? Think about that for a minute. Do you think it's positive when you run into somebody who's a very ambitious person, or, or is that a problem sometimes? 
Well, I did a little research this week. I I looked for some quotes that different people have about ambition, and here's a few of them that I found. Uh, This person said this, a man's worth is no greater than his ambitions. In other words, in his eyes, ambition is a good thing. And in fact, if you don't have ambition, he says, you're not worth anything. So ambition, according to him, is very important. Another person said it this way, big results require big ambition. Again, a quote that would say ambition is a positive thing. In fact, if we want to see something happen in our lives, see results in our lives, we need ambition, uh, this person says. Another said this, ambition is the path to success. Again, casting ambition in a very positive light. And maybe this last one's my favorite. How about this? Ambition is a dream with a V8 engine, and that was Elvis that said that, you know. So, so according to at least some people, ambition is a good thing, but not everyone feels that way. Here's a couple quotes that kind of say the opposite. This person said, ambition is but avarice on stilts and masks. In other words, he says, ambition is just an excuse to be selfish and to focus on yourself and your own needs and your own wants. One more, this person said this, where ambition ends, happiness begins. In other words, he believes as long as you are ambitious, you can never truly be satisfied. You can never truly be happy. So which is it? Is ambition a good thing that gives us value and worth and helps us accomplish amazing things in our lives? Or is ambition something that gets in the way of our happiness and really just makes us selfish people? One more quote, and I think maybe this helps us get at the heart of the issue. Um, Cesar Chavez said this. He said, our ambitions must be broad enough to include the aspirations and needs of others for their sakes and our own. In other words, he's saying if our ambitions are narrowly focused, if I'm ambitious simply for me, then yeah, that is just another form of being selfish. But if my ambitions are big enough to include the needs of others... Then, for their sake and for my sake, then ambition is properly focused. Now, I ask you all this because in verse 20 of our reading today, Paul says this. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Now, Paul was a very ambitious guy. I don't know if you're aware of this, but but when we first encounter Paul in the scriptures, before he's a follower of Jesus, he is one of the religious leaders of the day. He's in this thing called the Sanhedrin. And to get into the Sanhedrin, you had to work your butt off. You had to be incredibly ambitious. You had to do things like memorize the Old Testament. And I don't just mean the books in order. I mean the whole Old Testament. Imagine the hours it took to do that. And we're told that not only was Paul so ambitious that he had become a member of this elite religious leadership group, but he was the youngest person ever to do that. He was incredibly ambitious, but his ambition was focused on religion. And then we know something changed for Paul. Do you remember? He was on his way to a place called Damascus, actually going to persecute Christians, followers of Jesus, because he believed they were a threat to his religion. And on the way there, Jesus appeared to him on that road to Damascus, and everything changed for Paul. Paul's ambition shifted from religion to Jesus. Jesus Following Jesus became Paul's ambition, and not just following Jesus, but helping others, specifically the Gentiles, come to know about Jesus. That was Paul's ambition. 
And we're going to see that reflected in these words today, and we're going to see what Paul said that ambition should do to the church in Rome and also how that should affect you and me. So let's dive right in. Let's take a look at the first few verses in this section first, verses 14 through 16. Um, Paul, at the very beginning, says to them, look, I, I know that you guys are full of goodness and that you have a lot of knowledge and you can teach each other. In other words, what he's saying to them is, look, I hope I haven't insulted you by telling you all this stuff about Jesus, because I know that you're very capable. He said, but I just, I just wanted to make sure you knew some things. I love how he says, I know that you are able to teach each other. In other words, there's this expectation that a healthy Christian community is one in which people teach each other, people help each other grow. That's why, again, folks, here at Trinity, uh, you may get sick and tired of hearing us talk about small groups, but, but we want everybody to be connected in a small group. And you know how we say this. We say, you can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally, right? We have to teach each other. That's an expectation for Christian community. And by the way, in September, coming up in just a couple of weeks, you're going to have a chance to get connected in a small group again for our fall group series. And just want to encourage you to think about that and pray about that, either leading or getting connected in a group, because that's what a Christian community does. We teach each other. Later in this section, did you notice it? Paul goes on to say this. He says that, um, I did this because God gave me this special gift to be a minister of Christ Jesus to those who are not Jews, to the Gentiles. In other words, Paul said, God gave me a chance to serve others, and he said, I see that chance to serve others as a special gift in my life. Now, I gotta be honest with you, sometimes I get that backwards. Sometimes when I have a chance to serve, whether that's in a ministry here at Trinity or uh, in, in my local community, I kinda feel like I'm the special gift to those I'm serving, right? You know, I'm going to give my time, I'm going to give my money, I'm going to give my talents to help this, so I'm being a gift to these people. But Paul says that's exactly backwards. Paul says when I serve, I see that as a special gift that God has given to me. And by the way, those of you that have had a chance to serve, when you're done serving, you look back, don't you often feel like you got more out of it than the people you were serving? I know I do. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, when, when God gives us a chance to serve, when we have a chance to volunteer and be a part of the ministry here, or we, we have a chance to serve somehow in our community, Paul says, literally, that's God's gift to us. We get the gift that we get to serve others. And we get blessed by it. And then, near the end of this section, Paul says this. He, he says that he, by helping people come to know Jesus, those people become an offering made holy by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul looks at us, those of us who know Jesus, as an offering to God. Now, by the way, Paul uses this language a lot throughout all of his letters. And in fact, my favorite place he uses it is in uh, this 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15, where he says this, our offering to God is this, we are the sweet smell of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are being lost. Now think about that for a minute. He says, we are the sweet smell of Christ to God. How many of you uh, have a kid that just went back to college or is about to get ready to head back to college? Yeah, a number of you. Now, I don't know what about you guys, but the first time our son went away to college, uh, first of all, it was hard, you know. I, I cried, you know. We dropped him off at school, you know. I was convinced I wasn't going to do it. I did, you know. 
And, uh, and then it was a couple of weeks, I missed him, right? And I had to go into his room for something at home and I walked in the room and you know the thing that hit me? It was the smell. I mean, not in a bad way, you know? I know, he's a teenage boy, right? But, uh, but, but no, the room smelled like him, right? I walked in and, and that smell kind of caught me off guard and all of a sudden I found myself tearing up again, you know, because I missed him. Well, I'll admit, as the weeks went by, every once in a while, I would just step in there and just kind of go, and I'd just smile. It was just kind of a neat way to remember him. And I see a few heads nodding. Maybe you found yourself doing that too. But, but think about what this verse says. What this verse says is that's what you and I become for God. We become the aroma of God's son to him. I mean, think about it. What, what it's literally saying is that, that when God looks at you and me and when we are behaving like his son Jesus, we remind God the Father of his son Jesus and it makes him smile. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe looks at you and me and he sees his son in us and it makes him smile. That's an amazing offering. That's pretty amazing. So Paul goes on then in this next section, and this is where he really gets at this idea that his ambition is to share the gospel. And in fact, in verse 20 in the ESV, he says it this way. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the good news in places where people have never heard of Christ. In other words, Paul's life shifted from being all about religion and authority and power and, and personal advancement, and it shifted into being all about Jesus and specifically all about people who didn't know Jesus coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That was the main thing for Paul. It was the center of his life. It was his ambition in life that people could come to know Jesus. Now, by the way, it's, it, it does sound a little weird. He says, he says that he does this with people who have never heard of Christ. He says, because I don't want to build on the work someone else has already started. And it almost sounds kind of a little egotistical. But what Paul's really saying here is he's saying there's a big field out there that needs to get plowed. And, and why would I go out in the field and plow where somebody else has already plowed, Right? He goes, I want to go plow where nobody's been before. I want to go uh, get as much work as I've done so as many more people come to know about Jesus. Now, you may think, well, wait a minute. Everybody I know has heard of Jesus. And I guess that's kind of true. My guess is you and I encounter people every day, and if you've asked them if they know who Jesus is, they'll say, yeah, he's the, you know, the guy that Christians believe is the son of God, and he was you know, born at, in Bethlehem at Christmas time, and, and, and he died on the cross, and, and supposedly rose again from the dead on Easter. They, they would know those stories, but let me ask you this. Do they really know Jesus? I don't think they do. Do they really know about uh, that, that he left heaven, that he truly is the son of God, and, and he left the glories of heaven so he could come be a human being, so he could relate to us and communicate to us and, and, and give his life for us? Do they really know him as the person who, who cared deeply for the poor and the oppressed and went out of his way to do whatever he could to help them? Do they really know Jesus as the person who put love for others in the center of everything he did? My guess is they may have heard the name of Jesus, but they don't know that Jesus. Folks, let's not fool ourselves. We do have a chance, just like Paul, to be passionate about helping people who don't know Jesus come to know about his love and his grace in their lives. Paul then goes on, in, uh, starting at verse 20, 
two to talk about this. He, he says that um, he's wanted to come and visit them many times. He says, but, but now finally his work in the area where he is is done. Finally, he's spread the good news through that area. Now he wants to go to a new area. He wants to go to Spain. But he says, first, on the way to Spain, I want to come and I want to spend some time with you. And did you notice why he said, I want to spend that time with you? He said this. He said, um, I hope that you can help me on my trip. And by the way, the word he uses there is kind of the word that's used for missionary support. In other words, Paul says, I want to come visit you but I want you to help me financially. I want you to help me with my mission in Spain. And then, by the way, Paul's a good teacher. He tells them a little story about the Macedonians and how they financially have helped the people in Jerusalem. And he uses them as an example, and he's hoping that example will inspire the people in Rome so that when Paul comes, they'll be ready with their finances to help him continue with this ambition, continue with this good news of spreading the gospel. I love the very end of this uh, when he says, I know that when I come to you, I will bring Christ's full blessings. And then he says this. Then he says, will you pray for me? Will you pray for this work that I'm doing, Paul says. Will you pray that God will keep me safe from those who would oppose me in this mission? Will you pray for me as I travel uh, to bring the, the help and assistance to Jerusalem? And will you pray for me that I can come and have a time of rest with you on my way to Spain? Now, by the way, notice what Paul says. He realizes that they've never met Paul. They don't know him, so why would they pray for him? I love it how he says it this way. He says, I beg you to help me in my work by praying to God for me. Do this because of our Lord Jesus and our love for him. In other words, he says, don't pray for me because you love me. Pray for me because you love Jesus. That should be our motivation, by the way, for sharing the gospel with people. Not because we love them, but because we love Jesus. I love Leonard Sweet. He's a, a Christian writer, and he says this. Uh, he, he says that, you know, a lot of times we as Christians, we think that, that we have to try to muster up love for people who are far from God so that we will be motivated to share Jesus with them. And he says, no, we've got that backwards. He says, not our love for them that helps us. And, th and then he uses this to prove. He says, how many grandparents do you know that had to take a class to teach them how to love others enough to tell others about their grandchildren? He goes, you don't have to do that, right? He says, you, grandparents don't need the class to tell other people about their grandchildren. They tell other people about their grandchildren because they love other people? No. They tell people about their grandchildren because they love their grandchildren, right? And he says, that should be the same for us. We should tell other people about Jesus, not because we love other people. We should tell people about Jesus because we love Jesus so much, we just can't help but tell people about the difference he has made in our lives. Paul says, pray for me. He says, pray for my work, pray that, that those who oppose me, that I'd be able to defeat them, that I'd be able to continue to share the good news. And he says, pray that, that the help I bring to Jerusalem will be effective and pray for me so that I can come to you. Now, I, I hope you notice throughout this section, Paul has been trying to help the Roman church be shaped by his ambition. That ambition of sharing the good news. And, and, and this morning, folks, Paul has the same good news for us. We have a chance to be instruments of God's love and grace in the world around us. There are so many people we know that don't know Jesus, and Paul's desire is that our desire would be that they would come to know Jesus' love and grace in their lives. And in fact, just like he said to the Roman church, it, that should shape our purpose in life. We should remember always to keep the main thing the main thing, which is connecting people to Jesus and his love. 
It, it should affect our prayers. Let me challenge you. Do you have people that are far from God that you know that you pray for every day? If you don't, why not? You should have a list of people that you know that don't know Jesus, and every day, take that list before the Lord and pray for them. Pray that, that God would be at work in their life. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be molding and shaping their hearts. Pray that God would give you opportunities to answer to the hope that you have, that you'd be able to tell them about Jesus. You know, there's an incredible promise in God's word. He says, don't worry about what you're gonna say, because in that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And that should shape our finances too. It should, it should rearrange how we spend our life, how we spend the gifts that God has given us. Are they focused on the mission, the mission of reaching those who are far from God? Because folks, when we do that, it's just an incredible blessing in our lives. I'm gonna end by telling you a story of one time that God used me to make a difference in somebody else's life. And, uh, and, and I wanna remind you about something Paul said. Paul said, I love to talk about how God has used me to reach others for Jesus, but he said, I do it not, not to boast about me, because it's not me, it's the power of Christ working in me. So, so remember that, I'm not patting myself on the back here. I know it's all about what God did through me. But a number of years ago, this is before I was here at Trinity, I was at a small mission church out in Elgin, and we had seven confirmation students from the whole church, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, just seven of them. And, uh, and so it was my job uh, to teach them every Wednesday after school. And, uh, and so uh, we were at church, and uh, I was teaching the, this confirmation class one day, and I, and I looked up, and there was this lady who was in the back of the church, and she's kind of motioning to me. I didn't know who she was. I'd never seen her before. And so I told the kids, here, you know, read, read this, and I'll, uh, I'll be right back. And I went back there, and I said, can I help you? And, and, and she's like, you're the pastor here, right? I go, yeah. She goes, well, I got a kid for you. I'm like, well, I'm sorry? And, and she said, I have this teenage boy, and uh, he's, he's a troubled kid. He's been expelled from one school. He's in another school now. I'm worried he's going to get expelled from that one, too. And I figured out what he needs. He needs confirmation class. I want you to teach him. I want you to take him in your confirmation class. And I'm like, okay. Now picture this. Seven, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders and one teenage boy who does not want to be there. It was a disaster. I mean, the kids are all looking at him because he's a cool high school kid, right, you know? And uh, anything he says and does, any face he makes at anything I say, any, any body language he's given off, it's just ruining my class. So after about three weeks of this, after class, I pulled him aside, and, and I looked at him, and I said, look, you don't want to be here, right? And he said, nope. And I said, I don't want you here either. But your mom does. And you and I both know your mom's going to win. It's like, yeah. I go, how about this? You just sit there. I, I don't expect you to do any homework. I don't expect you to answer any questions in class. I won't call on you to read anything. You just sit there. I will leave you alone if you promise you will leave me and the rest of the class alone. And we'll get through this together. He's like, okay, fair enough. The next week, he was good to his word. He just sat there. He didn't make any faces, no little snide comments. And I was good to my word. I didn't call on him in class. I didn't try to, try to get him involved. I didn't give him any work to do. And, and for the next few months, it went great. He just sat there. I left him alone. Everybody was happy. 
And then all of a sudden one class, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I do remember it was talking about that we don't get to heaven by stuff that we do. In fact, heaven is a gift given us to God. And all of a sudden this kid raises his hand. He hadn't moved for like two months. I'm like, I didn't. So, so I, I called on him and he goes, so I got a question. So that means I don't have to be good to get to heaven? I said, yeah, that's right. He goes, and, 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 and that means Jesus just gives us heaven as kind of a gift. I said, yeah. And then he stopped and with tears in his eyes, and he said, does that mean there's a place in heaven for someone like me? I said, yeah. Now, three months later, he got confirmed. But before he got confirmed, he got baptized. And those seven, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders were his sponsors for his baptism. Now remember, one me, I didn't even want him there. It's the power of Jesus at work in his life. Folks, we get to do that every day. It was Paul's passion in life to be used by God to help people who are far from him come to know his love and grace. And Paul invites us into that mission. He, he, he gives us the chance to have that same ambition that God would use us to help those who are far from him come to know about his grace. That should be our ambition. That should be our purpose in life. And it should change everything we do. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord?